This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. Years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I came across a book. It's like the book of awesome. And I immediately went, damn it, I wish I'd written that book. I haven't even opened it yet, but I wish I'd written this book. And then uh, a guy I admire came to town, a guy called Chris Guillebeau, who's uh, written a number of great books. And this guy who wrote the book of awesome was up on stage with Chris Guillebeau and they were chatting and Neil Pesarico was the host and the kind of support to Chris doing a kind of uh, in bookstore event. And I'm like, see, I want to be Neil Pesarico now because he's hanging out with Chris Guillebeau. He's a bit of a star. His books have sold millions. And then he did a TED talk and actually the TED talk has been seen by millions and millions of people. So now I'm thinking I definitely want to be Neil Pesarico and I secretly hate Neil Pesrika a little bit for how successful he is because he's young. He's like 10, 15 years younger than me. It's an outrage. Turns out Neil Pesrika is actually a really nice guy because I've got to know him over the years. I can't remember exactly how we went from me just admiring him from a distance to hanging out. I know he was on my podcast before and I've been on his podcast as well. But we've actually become buddies and flaneurs. And a flaneur is a person who walks, who walks the city. So we've had times where we've just strolled Toronto together and chatted about life and gone into bars and gone into bookstores. It's been a really great friendship. So I'm excited and happy to introduce him to you just to kind of give him the kind of formal razzmatazz. He is the host of the award-winning number one books podcast in the world, Three books featuring such stars as Malcolm Gladwell, David Sedaris, Uber drivers, sex workers, and me. So <laughs> I don't know where I fit in that hierarchy, but whatever. Um, he is the New York Times bestselling author of seven books, The Book of Awesome, The Happiness Equation, which is terrific. And my favorite, which is his latest, is uh, You Are Awesome, which I really think is a culmination of Neil's work, and we're going to be touching on it today. Uh, the TED speaker with more than 3 million views of his various TED Talks and degrees from Harvard and from Queens, which is some ways the Toronto equivalent of Harvard. So it's like he's been to Harvard twice. Nils Pedrika, come on down. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm great. You know what was crazy is that you're reading this bio, which is so flattering, and I can hear you. So I, I want to say so many things, but I'm like, I don't think I should, I don't think I'm supposed to interrupt him uh, as he's reading the bio at the front of his podcast. Like he said, a bit of a start, bit of, what do you mean bit of? Uh, flaneur. Uh, yeah, that, you know, the definition is to wander with no purpose. And yeah, yeah so that's great. And then the sex driver, oh, sex driver, sex worker, or Uber driver, like I actually made notes. I was like, I was like, yeah, you, you, you started stepping, you're like, oh, well, I don't know where I fit into that. It's like, well, and you, Nick, you were you you do both, right? You offer sexual favors in the back of Uber, so it was a whole brainer to have you on my show. Well, thank you very much. I that we've already shared too much information to everybody. Um, Neil, what's cool about you is you have just become associated with this word "awesome." I mean, the the books of awesome. Because you wrote the first one and then you wrote uh, a number of kind of connected books following that. And they literally have sold millions of copies. And then you've somehow circled the, the come right back and your latest book is the You Are Awesome. I'm curious to know, 
why you chose to hang your hat on that word, on that kind of powerful word? Well, <laughs> your question uh, has baked into it the assumption that there was thoughtfulness, which I appreciate. <laughs> I so appreciate. But really, back in 2008, um, as my marriage was dissolving kind of against my hopes for it to stay together mm. and my closest friend was suffering from severe mental illness, I went online and I, you know, it was one of those things where back in the day you'd like come up with an AOL handle and you're like, Neil at AOL. Oh, that's taken. Well, Neil, I'll try a different one. And then like you end up with like three random words together because everything's gone. So I was like, I went to WordPress and I was like, hmm, uh, hundred hundred popular like I just couldn't I just like came up with a literally series of phrases one thousand awesome things and yeah. the only premise I had like the only thing I had was like I want to cheer myself up that's it right okay and hyster uh, hysterically I've never really mentioned this I don't think but my mother-in-law at the time so that marriage did not did not work out but my mother-in-law at the time no matter what anyone said she would reply with the rejoinder well that's awesome. Like you'd be like, oh, look out the window. There's a cardinal. She'd be like, well, that's awesome. And I, I had that like refrain sort of right. burnt into my brain. And then, as you know, the universe conspires to keep you kind of in one, you know, shell. So, yes. you know, the, the, the subsequent books, the sequels, all, all that stuff. If I tried, and I have tried, you know I've tried. If I've tried, every time I try to like, hey, I also can do this. People are like, no, no, you can't. You can't. You're the one thing guy. And so, you know, you just kind of keep falling back into your mood. So now my only goal now, because we're, we're recording this in 2020, and you mentioned 10 years, literally 10 years to the month when the Book of Oz came out. Well, now my only goal is to see how far I can maneuver that word. So right. you are awesome. You know, that's a different flavor of it. The sub, you know, the subtitle of the book is how to navigate change, wrestle with failure, and live an intentional life. Well, the subtitle of the Book of Awesome is Bakery Air, Snow Days, finding money in your pocket. Like you see, so I'm trying to use that same word that I'm known for and sort of steer it in, in different directions. So how has that word become enriched for you over this time? Well, still, if you go to Urban Dictionary, the definition of the word awesome is the thing, the word Americans use to describe everything. It is the <laughs> That is the current definition. I know you cracked that joke before, but it is a good joke. I love that. Why? Well, I, I don't even come up with it. I'm just quoting Urban Dictionary. If you ever want to make a good joke, just quote the Urban Dictionary definition of a commonly understood word. Um, so, yeah. So for now, in my in my life today, I, I do subscribe to that uh, sort of Sonia Lubomirsky posited model that half of your happiness, half of what you got in your mind, what you your mojo, Michael, is half of that is genetic. Okay. Right. 10% uh, of that is circumstances. So we're recording this during the pandemic. Like mm -hmm. circumstances prevail right now, unless you can wean yourself off of the, the news T, in which case maybe it's only 10% of your day. And the remaining 40% is your intentional activities. That is the part of the pie chart, the 40%, your intentional activities that you can control. It's the only part you control. It's a pretty big part. It's four times. It's worth four right. times as much as what's in the paper. So now, whether that you know, no matter what I'm writing about or thinking about or reading about, I, I sort of put it into that 40%. I, you know, the, the sort of tagline I've come up with today, and next time we have a conversation, it might be different, but right now it's like, I think, write, and speak about intentional living. And remember I said that 40% is intentional activity. So you see, in my mind, that word awesome is like, what, can, what are the ingredients you can pour into your life just to make your life better? Period.
And whether that's happiness, whether that's trust, whether that is love, whether that is gratitude, these are yeah. all just you know little arenas that I like to play in. Let me, I'd love to, I want to kick the tires on that because that's really interesting research and it's convenient, right? 50, 10, 40. So it has that nice split and you're like, great. So the way I intentionally live my life, 10, 4, uh, 4x the effect of just the situation that I find myself in. And we've just gone through, and this is the word that I'm now getting sick of hearing, the unprecedented pan- pandemic. And um, even though it's not I, unprecedented, yeah, exactly. It's it's not a black swan event; it's a white swan event. So it is precedented. But um, I would be curious to know whether that research feels like it still stands up for you. Yeah, and it's funny because Sonia Bermishki herself has has backed off of it a little bit when she's been asked about it she says no no i'm positing a model it just so happens that the person positing this model is sonia Bamirsky. like she's kind of the kingpin is positive psychology you know stanford professor she's written the how of happiness so when she talks people listen right yeah. so you can you can push and prod around that but the thing that's interesting to note is that and the real big takeaway for me is and this takeaway still applies pandemic or not is the glass is not half full or half empty it is refillable the nice. glass is not half full or half empty is refillable. And we grow up, all of us, from a very young age being told that some people either see the glass as, ha- glass as half full, some people see it as half empty. There's just two kinds of people. They're optimistic. They're pessimistic. They blah, blah, blah. No, it's refillable. And that that awareness and understanding and agency that comes with that insight, to me, that's the power move. And that power move still applies. And really... I mean, I, I, it, it sounds funny to say this, but like, I feel like in a way for 10 years, that's the same kind of gong I've been hitting again, which is that you get to decide is kind of the gong. Yeah. Like you get to make the decision on what your day looks like, what your month looks like, what your relationship looks like, what your job looks like. That's on you. And yeah. here's how you can make it better. You know, one of my favorite writers, Peter Block, used a phrase that still kind of puts chills up and down my spine. So I say it often. And he says... He, he framed the work he did as giving people the freedom, the responsibility for their own freedom. Mm. And what I love about that is it basically is a slightly partial way of saying it's on you. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. agency. 40% of your happiness, and take that literally or take it metaphorically, but a significant part of how you experience your life is how you choose to experience your life. And but, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, no. I think that's that's really smart. I think these days, the, we've we've sprinkled the word privilege into our nomenclature, and it wasn't there as sure. much kind of five ten years ago. So when I catch myself saying that phrase, people sometimes put up their hand and say, "Well, it's easy for you to say." You know what I mean? And so I, you know, there's that caveat that goes in there. But then when when people say that, I say, "Yeah, but." what do you think is holding you back? And they say, well, I can't do it because X, Y, Z. And then you can quickly, you can kind of quickly work through and dismantle some of those, you know, hesitations, rejections, right? Right now, this is a perfect time. Pandemic, you know, is happening. People, people's entire industries, huge, your whole industry looks like it's going to fail. Like, are you in hotels right now or restaurants? Like, are you in, you know what I'm saying? But that is a red herring to keep using colors because we use black and white. Now we can use red. <laughs> and that is a red herring. Like that is uh, that 
what about the industry that is checking for temperatures at the front of every airport? That's the, mm-hmm. that's a nascent industry. That's an that's a, that doesn't exist. That industry, right? What about the industry that has contactless delivery uh, figured out? Like that doesn't exist right now. What about the age? So I'm saying, like in and yeah, we're agreeing, but we're just agreeing with like different forms of yelling and quoting. But like we're agreeing. So I'd ask you this, Neil. Um. I've got, I've got a two-part question. First of all is, what creates the resistance for people assuming their agency? And a flip chart, which might be a different way of answering the same question is, what have you found as a powerful way to invite people forward to assume agency when they might not be feeling agency? Uh, wonderful question. We could take it in a ton of different directions. One thing I think that I keep, I'm leaning this way myself more. And I feel like I'm starting to, I I have taken on the word artist more um, in my life over the last few years. And I'm trying also a a new hat on for size, Michael. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm trying on a new new hat called activist. Okay. Nice. I didn't know that. You did or you didn't? I did not. No. Okay. You did not. Okay. Here's something I'm becoming more of an activist on. Are you ready? Uh, Almost everything you read see or consume is uh, purposefully shown to you to read, see, and consume by someone with a profit-based motivation to have you read, see, and consume it. Right. Meaning, and this is a really weird hall of mirrors to walk into, meaning almost everything you see in every social media you check, in every news site you visit, in everything you flip through on television, almost every input that comes into your brain is designed. Yeah, I'm talking to including Netflix. I'm talking to YouTube. It's you are in a hall of mirrors that's been oriented towards you for the highest possible profit, meaning the stickiest possible eyeballs, yours, to continue watching it so they can keep feeding you ads. And right. and that's a big thing to say. And some people kind of nod and say, Yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of get that. I, I know that, or blah blah blah. But then it's like, but do you? Because that means that the only way that you can get sort of before we get to agency, the only way you can get objective thought is actually to be inside your own brain, wandering through nature, uh, right. writing, journaling, or to be consuming content that is totally trustworthy and mm-hmm. 100% objective and sort of unfiltered and cleansed of all this potential angle, um, which is so hard to find, so hard to find. I mean, I interviewed Mark Manson for uh, three books, same podcast you were on, and he said he only reads his news, all of his news off Wikipedia. <laughs> wow. Like, like only news source. Cause it's like his, his, his stress test is like crowdsourced, you know, written yeah. by everyone. So it's like, it has a degree of objectivity a little bit higher. Once you get to that point, which I, I like to sort of push on, I like, I'm pushing on that a lot lately, you know, um, then if you get to that point, then it's like, now you're with you. And that's a very uncomfortable place for people to be. And this is part of what is, to your first part of your two-part question, holding people back, is the um, the uncomfortableness, and we're experiencing it all right now, of being with just you. Right. Of being in that sort of like, you know when you turn the radio off and you've always had it on in your morning commute? Or you, <laughs> right. like, then it's like your blood kind of bubbles a bit. You're like, this is, I, I need someone chattering at me. Right. And that discomfort is what needs to be worked through. It's a form of withdrawal. 
It's a form of a dopamine hit you used to get. That needs to be worked through to get to a serotonin or oxytocin place, if you want to put it in, in sort of neurochemical terms, where you're now getting off on the pleasure-seeking hormones in your body that are that are derived primarily from things like the pleasure of doing hard work, the pleasure yeah. of a, a great conversation, the pleasure of, and I feel this way whenever we talk, the pleasure of, of an, intim, an intimacy with your loved one, the pleasure of a hug with your child. Or, yeah. So now you get to that place, then you can sit there, wrestle there, and ask one of your biggest questions, the one of MBS's, one of Michael Bungay Stanier's <laughs> killer questions, which is, what do you want? Right. Right. And then you get to, so what you asked me in two part or what's holding people back. And I think a part of it is this idea that we're uncomfortable being alone. Part of what's feeding into that is this like insanely incessant entertainment filled stimulus, right. all of which is profit seeking to just derive and control almost every element of your behavior. And that's like sugar for your brain. Right. Well, and it's, it's like hard to get off that drug. Yeah, well, I mean, you go all the way back to Roman times, and they're like, the way you control the mob is bread and circuses. Give them the food, give them the circus, and they'll be entertained. I've just seen Gladiator again for the 98th time, and so I'm like, I'm full of Russell Crowe striding around going, are you not entertained? Um, But I see your point, which is like, there's a way that when you open yourself up to most of what's out there, it's all about a distracting you from you and b mm. attempting to ex- extract dollars from your wallet to to wherever that that wherever that money might go. Yeah, and so that, so a, how do you yeah how do you be with yourself because there's a danger here, Neil, of you starting to sound like you're a I don't know a meditation coach or something. It's like no, you got to sit on a cushion and you got to kind of breathe and you got to kind of be with yourself and. You know, we've had people who are champions of mindfulness and meditation on this podcast, so I'm, you know, I'm actually all for that. But I, I'm curious to know. I mean, I'm sitting here at oh, the moment. Yeah, I don't. Go, okay. I, I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm the guy that's tried seven kinds of meditation and none of them work. <laughs> so I, I've actually even stopped talking about it. You know, on right. on stages and stuff because I feel disingenuous because I I personally Can't haven't do gone it. down that rabbit. But here's what I would say: one cultivate and find very trusted sources. There's a reason why on my uh, monthly book club or my podcast or whatever, I always say 100% ad-free, commercial-free, sponsor-free. I'm just doing that to try to build trust. And so some of the trusted sources I find are Robert Reich, uh, incredible on Twitter. Uh, Harper's Magazine is like one of the magazines where I'm like, it's really objective. There's, it's not funded by ads. There's really like no ads in it. The Center yeah. for Humane Technology started by Tristan Harris. It's like, Oh, cool. Common sense media. So I'm like looking for places like this that have like a vested, Mm. like they're valuing purpose over profit. And then you can buy into that. Right. Um, So that's one thing. The second thing is, and this gets back to like a lot of what I'm about, what you're about is uh, (laughs) we are both bibliophiliacs, right? Like we we, are, we are. And, and that is people that love books and books are still the single greatest compressed source of wisdom that we've ever produced. It's the only way to totally submerge yourself in another conscience and for the most part, and I should say for not for all parts, but for the most part, their object, like the person who wrote the book is usually some compressor. I just read a, a graphic novel called Berlin. It blew my mind. I highly recommend it. It took this guy 22 years to make it. Oh, and it I is love a, stories like that. It's an, it's an insight of the, the city of Berlin, which was the progressive cultural uh, center of the world between the, sure. the two world wars. Yeah, and for so sure. It, yeah, so like, but I didn't even know that, you know, so I, and then it takes you in. So it's like, wow, like 
again, like this guy spent 22 years drawing a cartoon. Like, I don't think he's doing it to try to like get speeches. You know what I'm saying? Like there's so constantly being cynical and then learning to try to consume from sources that are just by definition more objective. Uh, Tiger King is like, there's things baked, like now you're on Netflix. (laughs) Now the thing's going to autoplay the next thing. Now it's like, because they want your subscription. It's just like, it just goes down that hole. Whereas yeah. books, especially the older books you can find, as you term them classics, you know, yeah. this is uh, uh, this keeps playing big dividends in your life, getting into then, some of the, the older, I mean, I love your richer, po- your, deeper stuff. Your, your podcast, Three Books, is fantastic because, you know, the basic premise is you find really interesting people and you, you go out and you meet with them. Uh, at least you did before the pandemic hit, and you're like, let's have a let's have a long conversation about three books that were really influential in your life. And you know, my experience of recording this with you was, I'm like, what are they? if I could only pick three books, what what would I tell? You know, what stories do I have? You know, what are what are book three books that represent different aspects of who I am, so that you get the kind of a fully faceted idea of what influenced me to become the man that I am today. And I'm curious to know, in being the host of that podcast, and um, uh, how many episodes have you recorded now, Neil? Uh, 52 just came out last night on the new moon as Perfect. we're recording this. So I love that. Because you, yeah. you released them on, on based Lunar. on moon phases, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. So 52 released. And how many have you got in the can uh, well, it's, it's 300. Well, so I'm looking for a thousand, the thousand most formative books in the world, which means it's 333 chapters long. I don't call them yeah. episodes. And so 333 minus 52 is kind of all I have remaining, whatever that is, yeah. 270 something. And then how many do I have quote unquote in the can? I don't know, like five, like nice. recorded and ready to go. Well, let me ask you, having been exposed to 150 books from 52 varied and interesting people what's emerging for you as wisdom from those conversations i mean what are you learning well i've i'm learning that because because one thing that happens when i have a guest on the show is i have to push them a few times to try to get them to go back 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 in their life and you know instinctively a guest will send me their three not i won't say most latest books certainly three books they've usually read in the last few years and mm-hmm. I'm like, no, um, I'm looking for things that formed you. So things that shaped some part of your identity and sort of coagulated into your mind so deeply that you don't even right. remember where it came from. And it turns out that almost everyone has a book like that, like way back. And I'll give an example, uh, Tim Urban, who is the author of the very popular blog, waitbutwhy.com. So, so good. I mean, right. such a great, a great Perspective on life, yeah. He is a wonderful author and writer. His first book, by the way, is coming out in 2021. And um, you got to get him on for that. And yeah. uh, he, he, he eventually, you know, he has this book, The Stinky Cheese Man and Other Fairly <laughs> Stupid Tales by John Cheska. It is a, is, a, is a purportedly weird, sardonic, twisted fairy tale book for children that breaks every possible wall including yeah. the table of contents falls down. There's a character in the back saying like, what's an ISBN? ISBN. Like, what's this mean? Like it's people like, yeah. and it, you can totally see the pathway then from this guy who understood that thinking in first principles is important. And of course that's partly what his blog is all about, but also he now got, he, he uses that children's book as, as something that he, you know, it helped him think, go back to first principles on almost everything, including how he does his long gigantic blog post with stick figures and stuff. So everyone has, a so 
to the listener listening to this, what was that for you? Like, what yeah. was it that made you you? What made you fall down the path you're into? Yeah. And there is something for everyone. That's one thing. Uh, yeah, that I and, and I'm just going to interrupt to say I'll just tell people I want people to go and, and listen to your blog, your your podcast. I know one of my books was by um, an author, an Australian author called David Malouf, and I read this yes. book when I was 17 or 18, 17, maybe 16. And it's a very short book. It's called An Imaginary Life, and it reimagines the exile and death of Ovid, the the Roman poet, and. And in that process, his loss of language and re and discovery of a new form of powerful integrated wisdom. And I'm just I'm killing this book by trying to describe it no, like no, that. No, 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 no. But but what's so interesting is I as I look at a kind of a path of wisdom that I keep trying to walk in my own life, it's the same. <laughs> it's that, yeah. look, I'm a heady guy. I'm a wordy guy. I've got, I mean, I'm not, I'm no Ovid, but I have characteristics of that kind of urbane, sarcastic, well-read, love language. And I'm trying always to connect to something that goes beyond that. And it's exactly this story. And here, seeing that now, I'm like, I'm still living this imaginary life story. It's incredible. Uh, it's beautiful. And I loved uh, talking to you because you were on, like, that's the challenge for me is that I need people to be honest about the books. But what instinctively what happens is we end up as adults with an identity that gets snapped into our brain and this is who we are. And so the challenge for everyone is to try to get below the surface. And this is tying to the thing about sitting on your own. And it's tying to the idea of trying to reject from your life a lot of the things that are you know, not controlling, but like guiding your behavior or certainly trying to steer it and like getting more. And the pandemic is the perfect place for this, you know, getting into the heart of who you really are. And if, if you can tap into that, then in that fragile, raw, mushy, uh, you know, kind of like center of yourself, then be very careful, but do sprinkle in some, powerful wisdom in the form of your work, Michael, or the work of, you know, things that you think could help shape and form that gooey core. Because yeah. I think what's going to happen after this pandemic, and even just the phrase after this, like, is there not, you know, whatever that yeah. is, um, but is that a lot of people will be forced to reckon with their gooey core. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and this might be a great opportunity to realign what you do with your natural predilections and your truest passions. And that will be a good thing for the world. Neil, yeah, if I've, um, I mean, pandemic or not, there's always going to be times where you get knocked off your stride, where you're, you're not in your groove, where you're finding it hard, where you're struggling. I'm wondering if there's any specific... Um, additional approaches that you'd offer up to go, look, here's a way to recenter, to try and get back, to try and settle yourself down, calm yourself down, to try and connect to, I'm back to some form of essence of who I am. So I've got a foundation from which to act with a bit more mindfulness and certainty. Yeah, absolutely. So 
at a high level, I think it's important to have a, a really small, simple daily journaling routine. Mm. But while everyone says that, quote unquote, like no one does it. And so that's why the emphasis is on small and simple. And so it, like your kind of seven questions from the coaching habit, like it's taken me a long time to get to this, but I eventually have come up with a two minute morning practice Beautiful. that literally is two minutes. Okay. So it's from you are awesome. But essentially when I wake up in the morning and I, I sometimes do it in a formal journal, sometimes I just do it on a cue card. I write down three prompts. I will let go of, I am grateful for, and I will focus on. I will let go of. I am grateful for, and I will focus on. The, there is, there is I, I mean, we could spend all the whole pockets, but there is science yeah. behind each of those three points. And I'll just say, just I'll, I'll, I'll zoom up from the science for a second. Like, although, you know, if you could check my website or whatever, you can just see, I'll quote all the studies. But like, let me just give you the takeaway. When you write down, I will let go of, what you're actually doing is crystallizing and ejecting that subconscious or maybe barely conscious worry that would otherwise float sort of like a little tiny firefly of anxiety in the back of your mind all day. You know, I will let go of how much screen time my kids are getting right now because it's a pandemic. I mean, it used to be we had like a one hour max. I was like eight hours. Like, what are you going to (laughs) do? You know what I mean? So like, I will let go of the fact that I've gained weight over the last little bit, or I've I've let go of the fact that I'm really worried about my business or whatever it is, put it on a paper because it turns out that that really pays off. And because we used to do this, like it was baked into almost every world religion, Catholic confession chamber, Judaism, Mormonism, Islam. We don't realize that in this increasingly secular society, we're actually missing this, which we are. Guess for a second. Second thing is I am grateful for, look, your brain, like my brain, like everyone's brain is listening to this, is naturally oriented to focus on the negative. That's where we want to go. That's why if it bleeds, it leads. That's why we rubberneck on the highway. Because your amygdala releases fight or flight hormones and you want to look at the gore. Use Russell Crowe as an example. Yes, they are entertained. That's what they want to look at. So you are like that too, whether you admit to it or not. So the only way to pause, like to get your mind oriented towards kind of a growth mindset for the day is to do the hard work of writing down a few things you're grateful for in the morning. Because now what you're doing is priming those neural pathways all day. And they have to be specific. You can't write down my husband, my kid, my dog. You have to write down when my husband Rodriguez put the toilet seat down. When my three-year-old son Henry gave me a painting that he did at home. When my dog trooper learned how to shake a paw, gotta be specific. Yeah. And then the third and final one, which is very important during the pandemic or anytime you're trying to realign yourself, is I will focus on mm. too often. And I put myself in this camp uh, easily. You know, we feel at the end of the day like we got nothing done, but we have 147 yeah. emails in our sent items. Right. You're like, what? I did so much stuff, but I didn't do anything. So this is your time where you, if you just take 30 seconds in the morning, to say, what is the thing I would feel happiest about at the end of the day that I got done? And it can be small. It can be simple. It can be trite. It can be small. It can be literally, I have to call my telecommunications provider because right. it's been eating me up for six months that I have this error on my bill. Like even yeah. just something like that. But then when you cross it off, you're like, ah, good. My whole <laughs> day was a fix Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I was careful not to use the specific Canadian reference points for your global audience. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's a simple that's grounding great. process that i highly recommend i'll throw one do you want me to throw you one more yeah sure okay another one is when you're feeling unbalanced when you're feeling mentally fragile when you may be falling into something i like to call uh and i'm borrowing this phrase i think from david epstein uh, who wrote the book range when you're falling to uh, the, um, something called cognitive entrenchment i.e you're doing one thing over and over again you feel like you're in a rut 
You feel like your learning rate has gone down because you're in the same role or you're in the same sort of quote unquote like situation and whatever. Then the thing I highly recommend you do, Michael, is take up a weird hobby. This I I love that. Yes, take up a weird hobby. Take up a strange, unusual, or unconventional hobby that you know nothing about. So the study on this one is astounding. Uh, They showed that Nobel Prize winners are 22 times more likely than their peer group. Like their peer group, of course, is like other prominent scientists. Yeah, (laughs) Um, 22 times more likely than their peer group to have a strange, weird, or unusual hobby outside of their scientific discipline. The examples quoted in the study include things like starring in a local town play, doing balloon animals at kids' birthday parties, or like blowing glass. That's brilliant. (laughs) Why? You know the answer. Your brain isn't linear. It is a totally weird, vomited solar system of twisted black holes and insanity. (laughs) The only possible way you have to get kind of out of grooves is to steepen your learning curve. And your learning curve or your learning rate is the steepest. When you know the least. Yeah. Right? When the first time you go to axe throwing, you don't know how to hold an axe. You don't know how to throw an axe. You don't know how yeah. heavy it is. You don't know, like, you're scared. Like, that means you're going to learn a ton about axe throwing. Whether that is a language or whether that is juggling, it has to be something. Always have a weird hobby, especially if you're going through a rut. You know, I, uh, a, a year or two ago, a year ago, started playing Australian rules, this kind of random sport that I kind of played a little bit kind of in a, in a non-structured way as a kid in Australia. But it turns out there's an Australian rules league here in Canada, in Ontario. But what but is Australian rules? It's like um, rugby meets American football meets Gaelic football meets cricket. and so it's it's a young man's game i'm not a young man anymore but the average age on my team is 20 25 maybe i'm 50 um and i'm playing a game which i i really don't fully understand (laughs) and my team is the worst team in the league by a lot i mean when we played we were the average score was about 110 points to six i mean we would get (laughs) massacred and i was like one of the i mean i was in the bottom 25 percent of talent on the team so i'm like the worst player on the worst team in a (laughs) in a mediocre league i'm like on the one hand, this is humbling. On the other hand, this is awesome because, you know, I spend a lot of my time looking good because I hang out doing the things that make me look good. So to be kind of pushed out of that comfort zone was really helpful. It's and like your stand-up remind- comedy thing. So, oh, yeah, and I did the stand-up comedy a couple of years ago, which was also outstanding and <laughs> and the learning curve. It, this, this point also reminds me a little bit of um, – a writer called Tim Harford. I don't know if you've come across him, but he is fabulous. He's a, based in Britain. His first book was called The Undercover Economist, and he's written a series of great books. I know that book, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of his latest ones I really like is called Messy. He's done some TED Talks that have been really popular, and he did one where he talked about the power of slow-motion multitasking, which is the power of having two or three or four different slightly diverse projects on hand so you go you do one and when you get a bit stuck you move to the next one so you've always got an ability to come at something different and there's this cross fertilization that happens between the different projects that you're working on and in a in a related but different way that feels a little bit like taking up a weird hobby which is you're going to a place where there's always a learning curve for you to be working on 
Well, this is so your audience I know skews to kind of like management and leaders. So for the le- management and leaders kind of listening to this, this is a really good argument for first of all being the leader that says I'm going to go to the gym at lunch or like just broadcasting your kind of yeah. like unplugged time throughout the day. Um, and then encouraging everyone else to do it. And then if anything, in a Zoom hangout during the pandemic or at the, at, you know, at the, at the office kitchen after, whatever it is, um, then revisiting and reconnecting and discussing what it is you do. So like, because, and I only mention that because I worked at Walmart for a decade and it was better by the end, but at the beginning, like I felt guilty kind of leaving to go to the gym at lunch. Like I was like mm-hmm. freaking out. Like I was like, I can, they can't see me because they're going to think I don't have any work if I can afford <laughs> to go to the gym, right? Like, so it's just, a, yeah. it's just an argument towards inserting into the middle of your day some sort of incongruent activity. Right. This has been a great conversation as I knew it would. You know, our conversations, because, you know, we want wander purposelessly a lot. I, they tend to be like three-hour conversations, not 35-minute conversations. But um, this is it. So if people go, I need more Neil Pizrika in my life, and they should because they should have more Neil Pizrika in their life, where will they find you, Neil? Where should they look for you? Well, if you do want to hear a two-hour conversation of the two of us, then uh, you were the guest on Chapter 48 of three books. So three, That's just right. the number three in the word books. And um, there's zero overlap <laughs> between that conversation right. and this one. That's <laughs> Except exactly for right. the mention of the word Ovid. Ovid is mentioned <laughs> in both podcasts. <laughs> Um, so um, and, and just, your, your just, podcast. Uh, all my Where stuff else? is at Neil, Neil.block. Everything's at Neil.block. Perfect. Neil, you not only write about awesome, but you are awesome. So thank you for being on this with me. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift, I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where... I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.